Well, let's uh, get right to it here this morning. I'd like to invite your attention to Matthew chapter number 25. Let's stand in honor of God's word, Matthew and chapter number 25. <clears throat> Matthew 25. Good to have guests here with us. Good to get around this morning as walking uh, through the real people class. If you want a blessing, just go visit the real people sometime. It's, uh, you might say, what's the real people? Are we not real people? Well, that's the senior adult class, and uh, it's a blessing to get to be around those dear folks. And plus, they had good food this morning, so I just kind of stepped in there, enjoyed some fellowship. Uh, but it also is a great joy to walk down the hallway and see little kids walking in order, uh, little four-year-olds or five-year-olds coming into class. They had their hand on the wall, so they all stand, stayed on one side. They were orderly, <laughs> orderly. It was so good. It's such a blessing. Thank God for those who helped. Uh, tonight, in fact, we have the Pee Wee uh, Club singing, and that's a real blessing. Look forward to that. So uh, that's, that's our little ones that'll be singing tonight. Okay, let's look at Matthew 25. And this is the conclusion of what we know from the scripture as being uh, the Olivet Discourse, because it was given on the Mount of Olives. And so it's Jesus explaining to his disciples what's going to happen in the end times. So we're reading of things that are still yet future. So now let's uh, uh, pick up our reading, verse number 31. So Matthew 25 and verse number 31. I believe this is the eighth, see, the seventh sermon out of Matthew 24 and 25. So we've taken a little bit of time to uh, work through this. And so now we're re reading verse number 31. It says, when the Son of Man shall come, not if he shall come, but when he shall come. When he shall come, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory, all the holy angels with, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Verse number 34, then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Wow, what a verse. <laughs> yeah. All right, verse four. I'm sorry, verse 35. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I'm sorry. All right, you knew what I meant. All right, verse 35. Four, maybe that's what was in my mind, four. <laughs> four, I was unhungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall, notice what it says here, he's speaking to the sheep, right? Verse 37 says, then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when 
Saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king <laughs> shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then, verse 41, then shall he say unto them on the left hand, depart from me. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. What a contrast, verse 41 to verse 34. Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. And back at 34, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Depart, verse 41, from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Look at verse number 42. For I was unhungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, or thir a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee, then shall he answer them, verily, I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. Verse 46, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. <laughs> Only two destinations. Our series uh, has been entitled, Jesus is King. We're emphasizing that because the text does. Jesus is King. And so the title of the message this morning is this, the king who will sort all things out. The king who will sort everything out. He's going to. The king will sort all things out. So may God bless the reading of his word. As you're seated, we've prayed earlier. We've asked God to bless. I'm trusting that he'll do that uh, because of who he is and his love and care for you. I believe God will do just that. The king will sort all things out. We use that terminology, don't we, maybe quite often, I'm going to, sorting something out, sort things out. Well, according to the Cambridge Dictionary, uh, that phrase can have a, a couple different meanings, main meanings. It could be to separate one type of things from a group of another type of things. So I thought about it this way. In fact, they even gave the illustration, um, sort, sort uh, like a parent maybe speaking to a child here, Sort out any clothes you want to throw away and give them to me. So you maybe you have, have kids that have, you might not say throw them away. That's what they said. But you might say uh, that we can pass on to your brother, <laughs> right? Going to sort, sort through your clothes. Um, or sell, I, I thought about it this way. It's nearly yard sale season because it's starting, well, today is cooler weather and 
I know we got another hot stroke coming on, but or streak coming on, but we're about to get to some fall weather and be some yard selling time, garage selling time. And so maybe you're going to sort through your clothes. And so you make a pile of clothes that you're going to keep and a pile of clothes that you're going to sell. And if you can't sell, then uh, you're going to thrift store. So anyways, you're going to see what you can do with that. So you make a pile of clothes you're going to keep, a pile that you're going to get away, get rid of, um, sort through ties. I have to do that from time to time. I haven't wore that tie, haven't wore that tie in three years. But you think, no, I'm going to someday. <laughs> Go ahead and just pass it on, brother, <laughs> right? Okay. You sort through ties, you th sort through shoes and sort through hats and sort through all kinds of things. So that's, that's one way you're making a, uh, a distinction, dividing between the two. The terminology can also be used in this way to deal successfully with a problem, okay? So maybe, maybe or a situation, you'd use it this way. Hey, we need to sort things out here. Are you following me? We need to sort some things out. Uh, maybe they gave the illustration, uh, her financial records are a mess, but we'll sort them out, all right? So your finances might be a mess and you need to sort through them, okay? Get it sorted out. Well, in our passage here today, uh, the Lord is sorting out the king. Let me say it that way because uh, this is, um, one, one indi indicated this is the only time that Jesus refers to himself as king. Now he's referred to often throughout scripture as king, but here he makes a very clear statement that he is the king who will sort things out. And he's gonna sort out, here's basically where, we're, where we are as we're in this uh, section of scripture and he's looking ahead at the end times when he shall come and when his kingdom shall be set up. In fact, we've just come through a little bit of a season of the kingdom of heaven shall be like unto and talked about the, the virgins that were there waiting for the bridegroom, which he was the bridegroom that will come. And, and then we just came through last week how that uh, uh, a landowner left his property and his goods, the talents in the hands of his servants. And he gave one five and one two and one one. If you remember that last week, and you're either going to make the most of what God gave you or you're going to make excuses as to why you squandered the time that God has given you and the resources that God has given you. So he's in this, in this uh, section of scripture here where he's explaining to his disciples that he will come again and set up his kingdom. Which is very important to understand that there is a coming kingdom. Jesus taught there would be a literal reign on the earth. We don't hold to a amillennial position, which ah means without or no. We don't hold to an amillennial position. Some do and they say, well, the kingdom of God is on earth right now and he's just ruling in our hearts. Nope. The king said he's coming. And he's going to set it up. There is also a position known as a post-millennial position, meaning that Jesus will come after believers have brought in the kingdom. That things are going to get better and better. All right. All you need to do not to be a post-millennialist is just watch the news. It's not getting better and better. Gee, the, the, the Bible says, Paul said, men are going to wax worse and worse. In fact, things are so bad that only the Lord's coming can sort things out. 
can straighten things out. And so the Bible teaches that Jesus comes again at the end of the tribulation period, that seven-year, literal seven-year period of great suffering upon the earth, the last three and a half years, a time of pain and suffering that the world has never seen. And at the end of that time, then there will be the battle of Armageddon, the final battle. The Lord will come and power and great glory. And he will then set up his kingdom. But between the end of the tribulation period and the beginning of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, now there's many more verses that deal with this. And it's not really my intent today to go through a timeline of events. So you can catch that in um, Revelation chapter number 16 and following. And, and you'll get that timeline of events. But there's an interval of time in fact, you have to look at even the book of Daniel to understand many of the things that are going on in the book of Revelation. But there's a 75-day intermediate period of time between the end of the tribulation, the battle of Armageddon, and the establishment of the kingdom. And it's probably within that 75-day period that the judgment of the nations takes place. That's what we're reading about here today is the judgment of the nations. Now, we've, we've got to keep it in that context because this is not the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment will come at the end of the 1,000 year reign of Jesus upon the earth. There will be people born during that time and they will need salvation too. Now, I don't have time to go into all this. If somebody's got questions, I'd be glad to spend more time here, but, and others would as well. But during that time period, there will be people born and there will be actually a final rebellion that there will be a final overthrow by Jesus. And then it says that death and hell will, will deliver up the dead that are in them. That is the resurrection that is there. And then you have the great white throne judgment and you have the eternal state. All right, now, you just got a course on eschatology in five minutes, okay? But I, I'm just setting it out here because where we're at, given the context of Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, he's talking about his second coming in power and glory, having talked about it. In fact, it's very, very important that you catch 24, verse number, sorry, chapter number 24 and verse number 15, that it's the 70th week of Daniel. And Jesus said, he that readeth, let him understand. So you got to understand that it's in the context of that, that 70th week that he's really focused on that. And then his second coming, not in the rapture, when he comes to take believers out of here, which by the way, there are no signs that precede the rapture. So the rapture could take place at any time. It could happen today, dear friend. And so the rapture takes place there, sets in motion the seven year period of the tribulation. At the end of that, then Jesus comes in power and glory. And then listen, the nations of the earth shall see the one that they have pierced. That's where we are right here in Matthew chapter number 25. So it is the judgment of the nations and he's gonna separate out the sheep and the goats. This is very much connected to like what you'd read in Matthew chapter 13 about the parable of the wheat and the tares. That there would be those that are genuine believers and then there are those that are not genuine believers. I've got a great concern that there are many that are in church but they're not in Christ. Someday I hope to preach a message, that's the title, I just need a text and there's plenty of them. In church, but not in Christ. Listen, it's not enough for you today. It's not enough for you to be a church member. You need to be saved, born again, and thus be in Christ. Because your church membership will not save you, dear friend. 
Baptism will not save you. Your Christian heritage will not save you. The fact that your daddy or your granddaddy or grandmother was a Christian does not save you. God has no grandchildren. God has children. And not everybody born into the human race is a child of God. Jesus said to a very religious man named Nicodemus, Nicodemus, ye must be born again. You've got to be born from above. And so wheat and tares will grow together. The casting of the net in Matthew 13 as well as they draw it in. There are good fish and bad fish and there's a separation. So the day is coming when the king will separate the wheat from the tares. The true believers from, the, from those that are not believers. The good fish from the bad fish, so to speak. And right here we have it, the sheep and the goats. Okay. The Lord's going to sort things out in the end. You need to sort some things out in your heart and mind now. Okay, I want you to get that before we move on. He's going to sort things out. So right now, you need to sort things out. Are you following me? This is a sobering passage. We can't skip it. We got to deal with it. I don't want to skip it. It's a wonderful passage. Many people take this passage and they look at the, at the uh, feeding of people that are hungry and the, the giving people drink that are thirsty, the clothing and the visiting of people, all those good things. But listen, the Bible does not present a social gospel. Those that just take this passage and say, well, we need to do good deeds, humanitarian efforts, and they may even go and do many good things in India and in, in, in other parts of the world that, that are maybe needy in Africa and so forth. Great humanitarian things. But listen, they've got to read this whole passage. We've got to read the whole passage because the whole passage deals with eternal life in God's presence or eternal damnation, eternal punishment in literal flames. Now, many that preach a social gospel skip those verses. But we're not going to skip those verses, dear friend, because they are in the Bible. They may not be popular, but they are biblical. I'd like to spend a little bit of time here this morning with verse 31 and 32. Would you join me there? Verse 31 and 32, look at it. It's so important that we get this down. When the Son of Man shall come, who's the Son of Man? The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. This is a title that he often used regarding himself. Hey, 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 this has ties back to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, verse number 13 and 14. Talks about the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Talks about him setting up his kingdom. And that it's an everlasting kingdom. That's the Son of Man. So the Son of Man, I just started reading the book of Ezekiel. Not all time do you see the title Son of Man does it refer to the Messiah. But in many of these passages, like Daniel chapter 7, it refers specifically to Jesus as the Messiah. He's the Son of Man. He used this phrase about himself. The Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Jesus said to Nicodemus, as I mentioned a moment ago, in John chapter 3, I mean the well-known verse is John 3, 16, God so loved, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But before he said that, in verse number 14, he said this, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That means this, Jesus died on the cross. He must be lifted up, suspended between heaven and earth as the mediator between God and man, the Son of Man. The Messiah, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 16, he said to Peter and the others, whom do men say that I the son of man am? Some say that you are uh, Elias. You're, one of, you're like Elijah. You're like John the Baptist or one of the other prophets. But wait a minute, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Very important that we recognize here this morning that many, while many hold Jesus as a religious teacher, hold him to be a prophet, etc., etc., he is none other than God in the flesh coming to rescue you and me. That's what Peter acknowledged. You're the son of the living God. And so that's who he is. So it's very important. This is a reference even to his deity here that we're looking at in Matthew 25 as he says, the son of man shall come in his glory. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Who's got glory? Only God has glory. Man's got no glory. You've got no glory. I've got no glory. Sometimes because my, my head shines up here. Dim the lights a little bit or something, right? Why? One of the men in the, my friend, Brother Dewey over here, one of my sign names maybe is uh, this is uh, shining glory in, uh, in, in sign language, right? My head is radiating. We have a good time, Brother Dewey and I. He teases me about that. But listen, listen, I've got no glory. It's just a bald head. Amen. But we're reading about the son of man. No, no, no. Wait a minute. It's important that we get this before we move on. Because if you don't get this and understand who it is we're talking about, then the rest of it doesn't really, doesn't really matter. And it doesn't really make sense. But the son of man comes in his glory. So this is not an angel that is coming. This is not a mere mortal man that's coming. This is the Son of Man coming in His glory. In His glory. And, and so uh, Matthew had earlier talked about that, but He comes in His glory. The angels, look at it, look at the rest of it now. He comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him. This is not an angel coming with other angels. This is not a mortal man. This is not a mortal king who have angelic beings accompanying him. Human kings must use artists to sculpt angelic beings or paint angelic beings on walls or on ceilings, in cathedrals, etc. But this king does not have statues coming with him. This king does not have paintings that accompany him. This king, whoever this king is, this son of man that's coming, he's got angels coming with him. What in your mind makes you think that this is just a prophet of God coming down from heaven? What in your mind makes you think that this is just another man that's coming? What makes you think this is another angelic being? I'm not accusing you of saying that you are, but we need to get the context of this. That listen, there's one God. And the Lord Jesus Christ is coming here as God. Not a mere man. He comes in glory. He comes with his angelic beings. And then please notice this. Now that you understand who it is we're talking about. It says, uh, it says that the Son of Man comes in verse number 32. Before him shall be gathered all nations. The nations someday will not stand before man. They'll stand before God. 
You say, Brother Gaddis, why are you laboring on this? We know this. Oh my soul, I don't know that everybody does know this. And I think it helps us if we understand this, that someday you will stand before a holy and a righteous God. And it's none other than the, than the one that was crucified for you and I. All nations, please notice this verse number 32. And before him shall be gathered all nations. Thank God today no nation is exempt from the gospel. I love that song where there and you just let us in and I want to stop the song every time. And you knew you were probably anticipating me coming up, but how that it talks about, you know, uh, hell, uh, all hell, the power of Jesus name. But it starts with the angelic beings and then the chosen seed of Israel's race and then every tribe, tongue and nation. And then the ones that are right now, man, did you get a picture of that as we were singing that right now at this very hour around the throne are, are those that are saying worthy is the lamb that was slain talking about Jesus right now. Right now, dear friend, they're, they're around the throne praising the Lord Jesus. And right here it says that all nations, and of course this is coming out of the tribulation period, so all those nations that were gathered there, and you can look at chapter 24 and verse 29 through 31 to get even the, more of the context on this, but, but let me hasten to say this, it would be the Muslim nations, the Arab nations, Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Somalia, etc., etc., the Hindu nations, India, Sri Lanka, other Hindus gathered from around the world that will be there, atheistic nations, those that deny there even is a God. And maybe you today say, I don't think there's a God. That's like trying to deny gravity. <laughs> you can deny it all you want to, friend, but if I walk off this platform, I was going to illustrate it, but I'm going to save time. If I walk, if I walked off this platform, you know what's going to happen. I'm not going to keep walking out over the pews. No, I'm going down. It's the law of gravity. Hey, listen, there is a God and you thinking there's not, now it's going to change a thing. Atheistic nations, Russia and, and other places, China will someday stand before this, this great God, the Lord Jesus Christ, pluralistic nations like the Europe uh, nations and the United States of America. Hey, all nations will stand before him. None are exempt from the gospel, but none are exempt from judgment. They'll be gathered as nations. Warren Wiersbe said, they'll be gathered as nations, but they'll be judged as individuals. He'll separate them. Verse 33, as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. This is a familiar scene in the Bible times. We actually saw it as we were there in Israel. We saw shepherds, young men, 15, 16 years old or younger out there on the hillsides. We saw him there in, in the area of Bethlehem and even coming into Jerusalem, we saw a shepherd boy out there with sheep to this day. And they'd have sheeps, sheeps, they'd have sheep <laughs> and goats, sometimes grazing in the same pasture. But at nighttime, as I did the study, at nighttime as they come in, the sheep would go to the fold. I don't know if you've ever seen a fold, but you know, a, a wall that's maybe about that high and it's got one door. It's an opening and the shepherd in Bible times would sit at the door, not to allow any sheep out and not to let any predators in. Jesus said, I am the door. Amen. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Amen. He's the door of the sheep. He's that great shepherd of the sheep. And the Bible says right here that yes, they are grazing together. Yes, they are living on this planet. And right now, believers and unbelievers are living together on this planet. 
inhabiting the same places, attending even the same churches, going to the same workplaces, being on the same ball team, in the same family. We're all in this together on earth. And, but the day is coming when he separates the sheep from the goats. And the shepherd knows whose are his. The Bible says that the sheep are on his right hand, the goats are on his left hand. I just wanted to throw this in here. This is not a slight against left-handed people. How many of you are left-handed people? Raise your left hand. God, God bless you. Brother Rick had to raise his left hand. Yeah, left-handed people. You might be right-handed, Brother Rick. I don't know. But anyways, left-handed people. My oldest son is left-handed. My last son does some things left-handed. It's kind of weird. But anyways, left-handed, right-handed. Hey, this is no slide on left-handed people. We were in uh, the Bay Area um, in San Leandro. We went up with the Fongs up to San Francisco. And we went to a, sh a shop there that's called the Left-Handed Store. Everything in there is made for left-handed people. Left-handed scissors and left-handed coffee mugs. So what's the difference between a right-handed and a left-handed? Well, the, the left-handed mug, if, if a, it had a hole that was right here, so left-handed people could take a drink of it like that. But if somebody right-handed tried to hold it, the hole was right here and it'd pour out on them. It's the revenge of the left-handed people. So anyways... No, God doesn't have anything against the left hand here because there were left-handed Benjamites that were really good with the sling. And, and John's, uh, James and John's mom came and said to Jesus, would you let my boy sit beside you in the kingdom? One on your right hand and one on your left. But, but in the Bible, you will see in like Psalm 110 and other passages that the Lord said to my Lord, talking about the, 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 the father said to the son, he said, sit at my right hand. It's a place of honor. So anyways, don't be offended by that. Okay, totally a side note, but we're moving on. So he's got the, the sheep on the right hand, the goats on the left hand. There's a division that is there. The Bible makes very plain that those that are his are his sheep, sheep of his pasture. I am the door, the great shepherd of the sheep. He knows his sheep. They know him. And there's that relationship with him. First Peter chapter two, you are a sheep going astray, but now you return to the shepherd and the bishop of your souls. The king stands there, and can you see it now? The nations of the earth are gathered. Those that are saved are gathered here on the, on the right hand. As I'm looking out, are you following what I'm saying? And then those that are here are gathered on the left hand, on his left hand. And so he sees there, and not, not anyways, okay, yeah. You get what I'm saying. But it's interesting to me in verse number 37, he refers to the sheep as those that are righteous. How can... Sinful man be called righteous by a holy God. Look what he said in verse number 34, if you would please back up to that. Verse number 34 is, the king shall say unto them on his right hand, come. What a great invitation. Come ye. Come ye, he says, blessed. The way that's written, it's a perfect participle, which means this, you're blessed in the past, you're blessed eternally. Come, ye blessed of my Father, and inherit. Inherit. Wait a minute. If you inherit it, you did not merit it. Okay. If you inherit it, you did not merit it. What do you, what do you mean by that? Well, if it's an inheritance, you didn't do anything for it. For it. It's just given to you. It's a gift. 
If you earn it, then you merited it. Hey, listen, you can never merit salvation. Come ye, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Salvation is not an afterthought with God. God chose the means by which all people can be saved. The Bible nowhere teaches that he chose some to be saved and chose some to suffer eternal hell. Man makes that choice. The Bible does not teach Calvinism. The Bible teaches the freeness of salvation, that he died for all, and therefore all can be saved. Come ye, blessed of my Father, inherit the, the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For ye, and then he goes into this, this series of, you saw that, that when I was hungry, you gave me food to eat, and when I was thirsty, you gave me water to drink, etc. all those things. Listen, he's not saying this is how you got into my kingdom. This is saying you have the characteristics of those who are in my kingdom. They did not do these things to get to inherit it. That would be con completely contradictory to everything about what grace is. But if you know him, then you act like him. And what did our king do when he was here? He cared about the hungry. He cared about the thirsting. He visited the sick. He touched the lepers when nobody else wanted anything to do with them. He cared about a dying thief and saved his soul and took him to heaven. He visited the incarcerated in that way. Can I say to you today, God cares about the sick and afflicted. God cares about those that are incarcerated. There's some even watching this, maybe even a couple of weeks after this actual service, they watch it down in Lexington and they're, they're incarcerated there. Hey, because you are in prison does not mean you are less human or less loved by God. No, listen, friend, God loves you just like he loves us. And, and God says here, you visited me when I was in prison. They said, wait a minute, when did we visit you when you were in prison? He said, when you did it to the least of my brother and you did it to me. They demonstrated that they were part of the kingdom. They demonstrated they were in a right relationship with him as the king. And thus he invited them into his kingdom But then in verse 41, let's deal with that here now. Verse number 41 is the opposite. He says to those on his left hand, depart from me. Depart from me. You cursed. It's the same, same tense. You're cursed. You're under the curse. You're doomed. I must tell you this morning, if you don't know him as your savior, you're under that condemnation right now. But you don't have to stay there. You have an opportunity right now to come to him for salvation. But if you don't come to him for salvation, you won't hear, come into my kingdom. You'll hear, depart from me. I never knew you. He's going to sort this thing out. He knows who's saved and he knows who's not. He's going to sort it out, but right now you need to sort some things out in your heart and mind. He invites you to come. He invites you to, to, to receive the free gift of salvation. Now, I want to ask you today, have you received it? 
Because right now is the time to come to Him. Because if you don't come to Him and you die without Him, there's not a second chance. And no, notice verse number 41. Cursed into everlasting fire. While I was in the in my uh, senior year of Bible college in eschatology, in, the, in a class about the doctrine of end times. We had a list of about 20 things that we could study. And for whatever reason, I don't even remember what exactly went into it, but I did uh, the research paper I was assigned to do on, on the doctrine of hell. And I read a book called Four Views on Hell. And uh, there's a metaphorical view of hell some say, well, what he means right here is just that it's going to be like anguish of your heart and mind. You're going to be burning in your mind. Some, the, those in Catholicism, believe in purgatory, which means that you go into this place of flames and it purges you so you can go to heaven. Others believe in annihilation, that when you are in the flames of hell, that they just burn you up and then that's it. But Jesus holds to a literal view of hell. That's why he says everlasting fire. That's why the Bible talks about the smoke of the, the devil and the false prophet and the, the beast and the false prophet, that the smoke ascends forever and ever. This passage makes no room for annihilationism. In verse number 46, under everlasting punishment. That means it's forever. This Bible right here and this passage right here alone dismisses the idea of purgatory. Because Jesus did not say, well, you go in there for a little while and then you get out. No, it's forever and ever. The Bible makes no room, no matter what theologian holds to it, for a metaphorical view of hell. When Jesus talks about that they are gnashing with their teeth in hell, when Jesus says that the man, the rich man that died without God and went to hell and lifted up his eyes in hell being in torment, that was not metaphorical. It's literal flames. And Jesus right here says, listen, that wasn't prepared for you. It wasn't prepared for humanity. It was prepared for the devil and his angels that rebelled against God. But if you stay in a state of rebellion against God, then you go there as well. You say, I don't like that view. I don't like that teaching. That's offensive to this modern age. It does not matter if it's offensive to this modern age. Our Lord and Savior said that's what's going to happen. Thank God he said he'd save anybody that would come to him by faith. And you and I need to live with that reality in our hearts and minds that, listen, there's not a plan B and, and there's not, a, there's not a, a, a change of plans with God. There's no exceptions with God. There's no partiality. Listen tonight, you need to know there's no partiality with God. He's not going to treat you different because you tried harder. No, 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 friend. Listen, you've got to be saved by the blood of the crucified one. There's no postponing your judgment day. There's no favoritism. There's no excuses. There's no rescheduling your court time. No, friend, listen, you'll stand before him and you'll spend eternity either in hell, in hell or in heaven. And that's determined by what you do with him today. 
some say, well, I mean, aren't we all going to the same place? It's a popular idea. Well, we're all going to end up in the same place. God's a loving God and he's just going to say, oh, just come in. We're all going to the same place. All nations. You say, well, I mean, if, if they believe that in that country, God will be okay with that. All nations. All nations stand before him. They won't stand before Buddha. They won't stand before a pope. They won't stand before a saint. They won't stand before an idol. They'll stand before the Son of Man, who's the coming King. They'll stand before the Word. They'll stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no plan B. That's why we run buses to bring children in because they need to hear the gospel. That's why we knock doors because people need to hear the gospel. That's why we've sent missionaries to, to various parts of the earth because they must, they must, they must hear the gospel in order to be saved from this hell. There's not a plan B for you either, dear friend. He's going to sort all things out. So you better sort things out right now in your heart and mind. Right now, according to Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, come. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come. The spirit and the bride say, come. Revelation. He says, come. He says, come. He says, come to you today. If you're, not, if you're here today and you're not saved, he says, come to you now. He says, come. He invites you to come. Thank God, week by week, we've had people walk down the aisle. It's not walking down the aisle that saves you. It's not saying just a prayer that saves you. It's not a preacher that saves you. It's not those waters of baptism that saves you. It's a Savior who was crucified, was buried and rose again. He's the one that can save you. And he'll save you today. My job as a preacher is to deliver this message to you and to urge each and every one of you to make sure, sort this out in your heart and mind. Listen, by the way, you don't need to sort out what's already fixed. He said it is finished. There's nothing you do to add to your salvation. No, I'm not saying sort it out that way. Like, okay, what can you do that's better than what you've been doing? No, listen, here's what you got to do. Trust who he is and what he did to save you. But you got to sort out, am I truly born again? Do I know him as my savior? Because evidently in this passage and others, there's going to be some surprises where people thought they were okay because they did this and this and this and this and this. And he says, depart from me. Salvation is not complicated. Don't let it be complicated in your mind. God doesn't make it complicated. God doesn't want you to struggle and wonder, oh, am I saved or am I not saved? No, whosoever believeth in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's as simple as that. If you came to a time when you understood you're a sinner and there's nothing you could do to save yourself, but that he died as your substitute and he was buried and he rose again and you want to trust him as your savior and you did, then listen, that's what the Bible refers to as salvation. You need to know that and you can know it for sure.
Believers, can you see how this passage applies to us? William Carey, who went to India, said this, in order to be prepared for our great and solemn work in the gospel, it is absolutely necessary that we set an infinite value upon immortal souls. That we often endeavor to afflict our minds with the dreadful loss sustained by an unconverted soul launched into eternity. He said, it's a little bit wordy, preacher. He said that, well, back in the 1700s. I, I, I get it, but you know what he's basically saying? He's saying this, listen, we need to live in the reality that there's a heaven and a hell. And people are going to one of two places. And he went on to say this about India specifically, and we can say it about the United States of America or any other country. It becomes us to fix in our minds the awful doctrine of eternal punishment and to realize frequently the awful condition of this vast country lying in the arms of the wicked one. And could we not apply that to the United States of America? To consider the awful condition of this vast country lying in the arms of the wicked one. People living in pleasure right now, but when they die, if they die without Christ, the comfort and the pleasures are over. And there's no, there's no way out. The king is coming. He'll sort all things out. A proper application of this would be you sorting out in your heart and mind, do I know him? Is he my king? If he's your king, then you ought to thank God. He delivered you from darkness into his marvelous light. Father, thank you this morning. given the glory of heaven and given the reality of hell. I want to thank you for salvation. And I want to pray for anybody here that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior that today they would trust you personally for salvation. And then I pray that you'd stir us as believers by the reality of the coming day of judgment. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to mobilize and not be sluggish, but to be earnest in our sharing of the gospel, not to be petty, not to be self-centered, not to be calloused in things pertaining to spiritual matters. We see here the sobering truth that heaven and hell await the verdict. Dear God, please help us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.